been going through a series on loving God, and this is number six in the series, with number one being an introduction. And we've looked in recent weeks at loving God and uh, His law, His uh, His word beyond the, in terms of the whole of the Scriptures, His ways. Uh, last week, and uh, the one of the one of His ways that I particularly felt to emphasise last week was honour, and how that works. That God really values honour and commands us to honour those that are over us in the Lord and honour our spouse and, and so on. And these things matter to God. They're part of his ways. And today, I'll pick up again by one of the scriptures we kind of used to almost finish off last week. Romans 13, verse 7. Render, therefore, to all their due, or some versions, owe nothing to anyone. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom customs. That's not the same as saying another kind of tax. That's traditions. Fear to whom fear, honour to whom honour. Taxes, my brother and sister, are to be paid. No Christian should evade paying taxes, whether income tax, fuel duty, VAT, or whatever. Uh, We should honour customs and traditions where they're not disagreeable to Christian faith and conscience. And then there are these issues of fear and honour. looked at honour last week. So today, uh, we're going to be talking about the fear of the Lord. Interestingly, that is a picture that Colin Dye used for a series at Kensington Temple, which is the biggest Elim church in the country, uh, on on this very subject, the fear of the Lord. So I've borrowed an Elim logo, look at that one, uh, from Colin Dye. The fear of the Lord. I've had in the past Christians say to me, we don't need to consider the fear of the Lord as Christian believers because, and they quote this phrase, perfect love casts out fear. The question mark is mine. It's one of those, we talk about people who want to redact Scripture. They want to take a, a, a bit of Scripture from here and use it to, like, rub out other stuff all over the place, you know. Yeah, no, no. thank you. Yeah. I don't know if you've got all the, no, 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 you can't do that. Don't. Um, this is one of those phrases that people want to use to, 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 to redact, to rub out other Scriptures. Let's look at the phrase and where it is found. I'm going to read it to you long, but you can see there the reference shorter. Pick it up in 1 John 4, verse 12. The verse in question is the phrase in question is in verse 19. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love has been perfected or matured in us. By this we know that we live in him because he in us and and he is in us because he's given us of his spirit. And we've seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides, lives in him, and he in God. And we've known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this. Now listen, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Move this mic down a bit so I don't bash it so much. We love him before he first loved us. The context there, perfect love casts out fear, is its fear of condemnation at the last day. Paul, uh, John, sorry, is returning to something he said earlier in 1 John 2, now little children live, abide in him, that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Perfect love casts out fear of death, condemnation and hell. 
If you know you're loved by God, you no longer fear judgment. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It deals with that bit of wrong fear, a fear, a foreboding fear of future accountability. So such fear, such fear of, oh, one day I'm going to be judged, such fear would torment us. Fear has torment. But God's perfect love casts out that fear. Notice there that John is also emphasizing uh, God's love for us. We, and we love him because he first loved us. So the fear of God is part of the loving God. So I don't accept that these words of John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, are to be used to wipe out a whole bunch of the rest of the Scripture, which we're going to look at now, which talks about the fear of the Lord. Fear in Greek is phobos. You're familiar with phobia. Almost any word gets phobia stuck at the end of it nowadays, doesn't it? Phobia. Phobos in the Greek has a range of meanings, dread, terror, Reverence, respect, amazement, astonishment. What, we're saying, what I'm saying this morning is, okay, let's rule out the first two, dread and terror. But the others, the other meanings all still stand. We are to treat God with reverence, respect. We are to be astonished and amazed by his greatness. John is, I believe, saying that God's perfect love towards us removes fear in the sense of dread, and dread of com- condemnation and punishment. Paul uses a similar expression in 2 Corinthians 5.11 where he says there that knowing the fear of God, and some translations put terror, but it's the same word, they're just, you're just telling you what it probably means in that context. Context, by the way, is the number one principle of understanding Scripture. Number one, context. Where is it? Where is it found? Where is it connected to? Where do we find some of the scriptures? Context. Paul says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul is not saying we're afraid of God if we don't tell people. He's saying we're afraid for them. We're afraid for them. And I've got a new phrase, understanding that from 2 Corinthians 5. If someone accuses me of something phobia, I'll say, no, I'm not afraid of people. I'm afraid for people. Because one day we will all give account to him. Knowing, therefore, the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Take away the first two of those meanings, dread and terror, and we are left with the rest. Irreverence, respect, amazement, astonishment. That, for us, is what the fear of the Lord still is. Here's one... Thing that's, it, this is repeated through the law of the Old Testament, through the first five books of Moses, particularly Leviticus, Deuteronomy, uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy. This sort of phrase comes up again and again. These things are put together in different orders, in different ways, different times. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. Every section of the Old Testament, the the law, the judges, the the narratives, the Psalms, the Proverbs, the wisdom scriptures, the prophets, they all teach this same thing, the fear of the Lord. Psalms and Proverbs are full of it. And uh, you know that little tricky book, Ecclesiastes? It's hard to get your head around them, is it? The central theme and thread of Ecclesiastes is this one, fear God. All right? 
it's written by a, a man who's kind of in a depressed state, and that's why it's, it's difficult to read. But, but the central point of Ecclesiastes is this is the sum of it, fear God. We're familiar with these phrases from the Psalms, and I, I could have done dozens, dozens of these scriptures. All right. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Some of these are songs I used to sing when I was younger. We used to sing in church. And then Malachi, I like this. It's at the end of a whole discussion that God's having with his people, let's say. He says, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Let's have a, let's, let's have a little bit of fun for a moment, shall we? If I say to you, God is good, you will probably reply something to me. Shall we try it? God is good. Okay, you can do better than that. God is good. And all the time. Let me change it up. Try this one. God is great. Oh, you weren't so sure about that one. I played a trick on you. Come on, do it with me. God is great. And all the time. Great. You see how we're so used to saying one thing and we're not used to saying something that is equally important, equally true. God is good and God is great. God is, let me put this really, really simple, like any four or five-year-old's not going to do that thing. God is big and I am small. So if any problem is to me too big, maybe I'm not thinking about God being big enough to deal with my problem. Just maybe. Maybe my God is too small. The way I think of him. God is great. Let's look at the the epistles now because both the the two major writing apostles in the New Testament, Paul and Peter, both very clearly talk about the fear of God. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every filthiness of the flesh and spirit, body and soul, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Is the fear of God New Testament stuff? You bet it is. Sorry, I've shot my bolt before we got there. Let me go this way. Ephesians 5 verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And that's talking about marriage. Colossians 3, verse 22, Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with thy service, as men please, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Hebrews, I think Paul wrote Hebrews. Hebrews 12, verse 22, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And then, good old Peter. Two from him. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. And further down in the same letter, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. With meekness and fear. Not fear of them. Fear of the Lord. For me, though, what I'm going to give you next is the sledgehammer against this silly idea that we're not have to have anything to do as Christians with the fear of the Lord. It's the words of Jesus himself. I'll read you the longer version. I'll put this verse up in a minute. Jesus himself tells us to fear 
God. Start of verse 27 in my notes. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you've heard, hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him. Do you notice the capital H? Every good Bible scholar will tell you that's God. Rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? Not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Now, that's interesting. What does Jesus connect together there? The love of God for us and our fearing him. So something that people want to just blow one away with the other one. No, the, the Bible puts them together. Jesus himself talks about them in the same, as we say, in the same breath. Men, and perhaps the devil, can kill the body, but they cannot kill our soul. They can put us to death, but they can't destroy us, because we are the Lord's. And we will have a new body and a new heaven and earth. But it is God alone who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And hell, as Jesus tells us, is the everlasting fire <clears throat> prepared for the devil and his angels. But it will serve as the final prison place for a believing, unbelieving humanity. You can read that in Revelation 19 and 20. Listen, um, hell, the devil doesn't come from hell. The devil doesn't now live in hell. Uh, just as the new heavens and the new earth are the eternal home of the righteous, so hell is the eternal prison, prison of the unrighteous, including the devil and demons. And hell never actually breaks out. All right? That's the scriptural version of hell. We've got a lot of mythology about it and a lot of confusion about it, but I'm giving you very plain. If you want some notes on that, I'll give them to you. All right. A friend of mine, also a pastor, not an Indian pastor, another church, uh, one day, I was saying some of these things to him just in conversation over a cup of coffee. And he went, oh, no, you're, no, you can't be right there. And I said, he said, I'm preaching on that soon. I said, well, would you like some notes? And you can look at it yourself. I sent him some notes and he emailed me back, yeah, you're right. <laughs> just that really, you know. I, I've, I've studied it through. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Jesus here tells us to fear God who has all power over life and death and future destiny. And then he goes on to tell us, and we'll come back to that in a little while, not to fear anything else since our Father cares for us. Fear God, but don't fear anything else. It's one verse just to tell us about the fear of the Lord in the early church, the first Christians, the first few decades of Christianity. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort or strengthening of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So we have clear evidence there. The early church knew what they were about. They knew about the fear of the Lord. They walked in the fear of the Lord. Walk just means live in every sense. Not only is the Old Testament full of teaching about the fear of the Lord, the Lord Jesus teaches it, the apostolic writers affirm it, the early church examples it. But modern Christianity, and this has been going on for decades, I've been having this discussion with certain people, Oh, that's not for us, that's the old stuff. Well, let me say this very plainly. Whoever teaches you that, that we are not 
to connect with the fear of the Lord at all because, quotes, perfect love casts out fear, quote, out of context, is a poor teacher and shall be, according to the words of Jesus, called least in the kingdom of heaven. All right? Because they're, they're dismissing the instructions of Scripture, which are for our good. Fear God as Father. Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. As a father loves and cares for and has sympathy with and his children. Now, if I talk about fatherhood or parenting, here's the problem. We all start to check out how we were raised. We go back to our own childhoods. So let me say this, that the British or Caribbean or West African or Southern African or whatever way of parenting that we experienced may have had some good points, but it will also, I'm certain, have had some bad points. All right? Our personal experience of being parented may be good, bad, or mixed, and it will be different according to our, the background we grew up in. The only true good father is God. He is our good father, yet he is our great father, and he is to be feared. It's to do with honor and respect. It's how the Lord's pattern prayer starts, isn't it? When you pray, say, our Father in heaven, he is high, lifted up, exalted, greater than I can imagine, bigger than I can comprehend. In fact, the scripture describes him as measuring the universe like that, the span of his hand. You say, oh, we can't take that literally. Oh, forget the nonsense about literally and figurative. The Bible just presents this picture to you, so you imagine it and you go, Wow! God measures the universe between his thumb and his finger. That's big, man. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name be honored, holy, revered, reverence, respected. I could hang out on that for a long time. Just, just stay there. Hallowed. Be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Little thought on hallowed be your name. Just going to leave this as a question with you. The Lord in the commandments, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not hold my name in vain. And uh, the world does it all the time. And I just want to question this. Are we taking that seriously, we Christians? How do we use the name of God? When OMG comes up all over the place, all over, you know, yeah, and text and all the rest of it and things and OMG, how do we rever are we reverencing the name of God? Do you know that observant Jewish people won't pronounce the name of God? And uh, our own children had a, a Jewish teacher at school and she would write on the board G-D, wouldn't write the full name of God. And I'm not saying, oh, you silly so-and-so. I'm saying, well, that's, that's, that's reverence. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm accepting that they're doing something because they're taking seriously how you handle the name of God. I think we've gotten very casual about how we use the name of God. And I want you to have a think about that. It's to do this fear of God with seeking his commendation and reward rather than fearing his rebuke. Pursuing his good pleasure, wanting to be pleasing to him. 
Fear God because Jesus did. Jesus feared God. He feared the Father. Not terror, not dread, but, but wholehearted respect, reverence, honor. Here's a scripture about Jesus before Jesus came. Isaiah 11, verse 1 to 4. 600 years before Jesus came, Isaiah prophesied this about him. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Capital H is all right through here. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, the fear of Yahweh. His delight, Messiah's delight, is in the fear of Yahweh. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Obviously, in all Messianic prophecies, the mix about what Jesus did in his first coming and what he's going to do at the last day, at his second coming. So there's a gap between those two called this age of grace, thank God. All right? in which salvation is being proclaimed to the nations through the name of Jesus. But between those two, Jesus came... And he feared God as his father, and he never failed to fear God as his father, never failed to honor his father. Read the Gospels. Observe and listen to the Lord Jesus. What we see and hear in him is our example. That is how we are to fear God, with the same reverence and submission and obedience and worship that Jesus showed to his father. There are promises set against the repeated instructions of Scripture to fear the Lord. It, it, it comes with promises. It's instruction often with a promise attached. And I've had to choose out of dozens that I could have gone through today, uh, just a few, and group them together. I put them into kind of like this group and that one and that one, okay? So here's one to go on with. Fear God. When you do, you'll receive knowledge and wisdom and revelation. All right? I know those kind of like buzzwords, you something... You know, people might prophesy that, and you think, I'm not sure what that means. It means you will understand things you wouldn't have understood otherwise. You will know things you wouldn't have grasped otherwise, and you'll see things you didn't see otherwise. Psalm 110, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments. Notice that, not just hear or read, who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. Skip back to Psalm 25. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him, the man, shall he, God, teach in the way God chooses. And that man himself shall dwell in prosperity. Oh, I used that word. And his descendants shall inherit the earth. Next verse. The secret of the Lord. Stuff he doesn't tell many people. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will show them his covenant. The more you respect and reverence the Lord, the more you will find his knowledge, wisdom, and revelation opening up to you. And I can say this. Some people say, well, you know, um, I've tried to read the Bible. It doesn't work. If you don't fear the Lord, the Bible will be a closed book to you, even though you're looking at it and reading it. You have to have an open heart to God to receive God's word. Fear, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of revelation, the right respect to him. Fear God and hate evil. Just a couple on this as two. Job 28. Job is probably the oldest scripture. 
And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Proverbs 3 verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. That's a difficult one in this generation. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. In fact, Proverbs goes in other places. Don't go near it. Run away from it. Avoid it completely. You know, don't let your feet go near the stuff. Doing the wrong thing, the wicked thing, the unbelieving thing. Proverbs 8, verse 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. We don't like the word hate, but there are things we should hate. This is one of them. Evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. You can't love and fear God without hating what he hates, which is summed up in one word here in the scripture, is evil. All that is harmful, all that is contrary to God's order, God's ways, God's glory, and here's, we've talked about this in terms of God's law and God's order. If it is not good to him, it's not good for us. Amen. Whatever opinion is running around the world. If God says in his view it's not good, then it cannot be good for human beings who were made by him. Move on. I don't want to over-preach anybody. Fear God and know his blessing and provision. Blessing is not a warm, not just a warm glow during a Sunday service. I looked up, I, I can dig around in Greek, I've learned a bit enough Greek to do that, but I don't, I, I barely can even recognize Hebrew letters. I'm an ignoramus with Hebrew, so I have to go to some good books and find out what they tell me. But this is what I discovered yesterday afternoon. All right. The root Hebrew words that are translated bless or blessing through from the Old Testament mean this, to kneel as before God, to pray, to give thanks, to worship, to praise. You are bringing blessing to God, but the position is kneeling. And then the other word means to stand and to walk straight on. Now in between those two is something else which we understand happens. The blessing of God. As we kneel whether literally or, you know, in our hearts before him, and submit to him, God places his hand upon us and speaks words to us. He may do that by a representative, one of our brothers and sisters. Yeah. And we receive the promise of his goodness. We're assured again that he's with us, that he's our helper, he's our supplier, he's our strength, he's our fortress, he's our refuge... And, and we get up and we go out and we go on in the courage of future grace. The promise of his goodness. That is the Bible word picture of blessing. To kneel, to receive impartation, which is more about God's words than, than even feelings. And then we get up and we go on. Now here's the thing. We were looking at something in Equip, the leadership training on Thursday night. Three prayers somebody might pray before Sunday morning. I won't go into that this morning. I'll probably forget them anyway. But here's a summary of the way I wrote it down later on in my notes. All right? We can pray. We can come on a Sunday. And we just want to be blessed and get through. And we get through a meeting. Or we want to be blessed and we want to feel something. We want to feel built up. We want to feel encouraged. All right? How about this one? You want to be so equipped by what God gives you, you can go and walk through the week with it. Amen. 
That is the biblical view of blessing. Yeah? You're equipped to go and deal with life. Workplace, home, situation, coronavirus. First mention. You notice we got the signs up. We were asked to do that. We've put some hand gel at the door. We were asked to do that. Please don't take it home with you. Leave it here for the rest of it. And we know it's as rare as hen's teeth, but there you go. We, we rise from having received from the Lord to walk on in the strength and the goodness and the grace and the mercy and all of of God. The Greek words that are translated bless and blessing you normally have to do with God's grand generosity and his, his bountiful gift. So the, we receive the Holy Spirit as gift, and that's also called the blessing of the Spirit. It's not the Spirit gives you something else as well. No, he himself is the blessing, the blessing of the Spirit. To be blessed is to receive from God his grace and mercy and peace, often through prophetic words in the position of one who kneels before him, and then stand up and walk straight on in confidence before him. Uh, on this subject of God's blessing and provision. All right, sorry, yeah, these are the promises. I've spent a long time doing that. Praise the Lord, Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Woman too, all right? Not in inclusive, not exclusive. Blessed is the man or woman who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. Now listen to this one, because this is where these two, this word picture in the Old Testament comes together about blessing, kneeling, getting up and walking. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be a fruitful vine. Wives, you have to turn that around to something meaningful for you. Okay. In the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants around your table. <laughs> what a wonderful thought. <laughs> blessed, behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Further scriptures point to God's gracious protection and provision. The things we pray for in the pattern prayer, you know. Um, keep us from evil, you know, give us this day of daily bread. Those things are promised in Scripture to those who fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord prolongs days, and the years, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. I love this Scripture. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. Are these good promises? Yes. Fear God and be confident and secure in him. Know that you're in a place of safety, living under his care, under his eye, under his hand. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Proverbs 14. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. So it doesn't, it doesn't unseat you. It doesn't weaken you. It makes you confident. When God is big, it doesn't matter how small you are. If God is big enough for you, there is strong confidence. And his children will have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. Why? Because you are learning to hate evil. Too. Proverbs 19, the fear of the Lord leads to life. And he who has it will abide, will live in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. So we come back to what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 10. Fear God and nothing 
and no one else. Fear the one who has the power of life, death, and destiny, trusting in him as your father, and do not fear anyone or anything besides. Now, when I was searching through scriptures, of course, some of the scriptures, if I looked up fear and either God or Lord, and you can do that with computers, you know, quite a number of the answers that came back were ones I couldn't use to talk about the fear of the Lord, because actually they say this. God says this many times to many individuals and groups of people. Do not fear, I am with you. Do not fear, I am your God. Yeah? Do not fear what they fear. Do not fear their gods, for I am your God. So it's the kind of do not fear because I'm the one who's in charge. I'm the one who, has, who holds you. I'm the one who's called you. I'm the one who's chosen you. This is what the Lord spoke to Israel and its leaders. Fear me, not your enemies. I'm paraphrasing. Fear me, not your enemies. Fear me, the Lord. Don't fear their gods. And later through the prophets, he told them not to fear what other people fear, but to fear and trust in him. And I remember the scripture just literally overnight woke up this morning, the word conspiracy came in my head. I know a scripture with conspiracy. It took me ages to go and find it, because I was looking in the long version. Isaiah 8, 11. The Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, nor be afraid of their threats. Sorry, no, I've missed it out. Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy. Just don't, don't go with the crowd in the things that they're fussing about and fretting about and worrying about. Nor be afraid of their threats or be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him shall you hallow. Hallowed be your name. Let him be your fear. Don't fear what they fear, fear God. And let him be your dread, and he will be as a sanctuary. Men's hearts failing them for fear. They're either fearing the coronavirus or the collapse of the economy because of the coronavirus. Do not fear what they fear. We were praying on Friday night, and I had this thought in my head. If you're familiar with the Exodus story, the people in Egypt being brought out to to, uh, to uh, Canaan, to the Promised Land. We live like everyone else in Egypt, but our neighborhood is called Goshen. When the lights go out out there, the lights stay on in Goshen. When other people's animals are being killed by, by the plagues, our animals are fine because we live in Goshen. And when the firstborn are being killed, we in our blood-daubed houses... Our firstborn are fine, thank you very much, because we live in Goshen. Now, what am I saying? We live under the hand of God, the rest of the world doesn't. We do not fear what they fear, because they do not have God, and we do. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, it seems a silly phrase, but I just felt to say it this morning. We all live in Egypt. The plagues come, and some will affect us. Some things may affect us. But you know what? We have a different neighborhood name. God reigns over us. So I'm going to rest on his words when I say to you, fear God and nothing and no one else. Fearing the Lord and staying in the love of God keeps you from all other fears. 
And by the way, the coronavirus is probably, in the end, no more deadly, doesn't create more mortalities than many, many bad viruses have done in the past, flus and so on. It's just that this time everybody's worried and counting and trying to prevent the breakout. Here's a lovely verse. You might want to write this down. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. What you know from God's truth, from God's word, what you understand about his precious promises and his instructions to us is the stability for you, for us, in however difficult the times are. We know what other people don't know. That's not us making a proud boast. It's just God has given us to understand his grace, his greatness, his goodness. We rest in him. We depend upon him. He's the strength of our salvation. It isn't the strength of my faith. It's the strength of my God. And the fear of the Lord is his treasure. Oh, that's a strange phrase, isn't it? How do you interpret that one? The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Well, the best I can do, just to be simple with you, is there's an extraordinary reward for those who will fear and trust God. He will extraordinarily reward those who fear him and trust him, especially through the disturbed times, the difficult times. I've got two more quick points, just scriptures behind them. Fear God and encourage one another to do the same. Here's a scripture, Malachi 3.16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord listened and heard them, so a book of remembrance was written before him. See, this is, this is the fear of the Lord becoming his treasure. The book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. And it goes on, and they will be mine, says the Lord. They will be my jewels, is the Hebrew word there. They will be my jewels when I make up my crown. Those who feared him and have encouraged others around them to do the same. Not how... how Dreadful, how terrified are we today? No, it's how much are we honouring him? How deep is our reverence for him and how firm is our obedience towards him? Encouraging one another to love and trust and depend upon the Lord. We speak often to one another. That's why I say again and again to people, Sunday to Sunday is a long week and it turns the second E into an A. Waiting seven days for more grace and more faith and more input from my brothers and sisters. You know, seven days without prayer will make you weak. <laughs> W-E-A-K. Book of Remembrance was written before him for those who spoke to one another often to encourage one another in the fear of the Lord. This positive, honouring, reverencing. I mean, the problem is that the language has got so broken down and become futile, inane, empty. You know, people talk about, oh, that was really amazing. Why don't you just say cool? You know, and then this American awesome is coming to English as well. We say, still say awesome. But, you know, it's really awesome, is it? Is it breathtakingly, heart-stoppingly awesome? Because God is. Have you, have you, like me, at some point in your life, so felt the presence of God, you were kind of afraid to breathe? Awesome, man. 
really awesome, not just the way that people use the word. That's the fear of the Lord. He is awesome, astonishing. See, awesome kind of catches your heart and stirs it. Amazing catches your brain and flips it around. Like, I'm just, I don't get that. What's happening? I, I, I don't know what's happening. God's at work. And he's so much wiser and so much more knowledgeable and so much bigger than you that you cannot comprehend it. He does stuff and you're going, what's happening, God? Because he's astonishing you. What was that? What would that just happen? How did that happen? Sign and wonder. Why? Our God is amazing. That he deliberately befuddles people who think they're smart. He takes the wise in their wisdom so they realize they're just as dumb as everybody else compared to God. Fear God and encourage one another to do the same. I'm, I'm wandering off the subject. Let's come back. <laughs> Thank you. Fear God, last one, and teach your children to do the same. Ooh, ooh, ouch. Yeah. Back to Deuteronomy. Gather the people to me and I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. I said before in looking at Sabbath, one of the clear functions of the Sabbath was that the families were at home together. They weren't commanded to do much else but to rest. Seriously. And when they're resting all day together, what do they do? They talk. They weren't forbidden to do that. They were encouraged to do that. And so within the family situation on a Jewish Sabbath, the fathers sat down and talked to their children. And what did they do? They talked about the Exodus. They talked about the goodness of God. They talked about the greatness of God. They taught their children to fear the Lord just as they feared the Lord. And one of the problems with our long working weeks and our making use of every hour of the weekend to do our stuff as well is that we, some of us never really make the time to have those conversations. It's important we teach our children to do the same. Loving God and fearing God are part of the same relationship and response to God. They're part of the same. Honor and fear are two balancing elements. Honor and fear of... of, of Wanting to get it right, wanting to be honorable to him, wanting to be pleasing to him. Love does not erase the fear of God from Scripture or from us. It's healthy to us. It does us good. Fear is the reverence, respect, honor, amazement, astonishment with which we are to relate to our great and good Father through our Lord Jesus who did exactly the same as our example. I'm going to come to response. And then we're going to have a long time to break bread and to pray. Um, sometimes I write what I think is a long sermon and it doesn't take as long as I thought. Let me ask a question to you, a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer me because I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. Could it be that we are being robbed of the promises and blessings which belong to those who fear the Lord? See, let me put this to you. Someone can stand there and prophesy to you all sorts of stuff, but if it comes with a condition in Scripture... You can't have it without the condition. Do you know, most of the promises of God in this book are conditional, not unconditional. They come with an implied if you, 
will take this and believe me for it. If you will act with faith, if you will obey the instruction, if you will ask me for this, I'll give it to you. If you will continue to walk before me, I will do this. The promises to Abraham were conditional. The law brought conditions upon the promise of the land even. It was not an unconditional promise. You can have the land, whatever you do. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you do with this, you know, amongst yourselves. And You'll always, always, always have the land. No, if you, if you do not do what I'm asking of you, says the Lord, I'll get the land to spew you out. You'll lose it. And they did. And they returned to it graciously. But there are conditions attached to many, many of the promises of God. And we live in a generation that thinks we can undo that and just prophesy it and it'll happen. No. Mm-mm. Doesn't work. No, I'm not knocking prophecy. I do some myself. I just don't always tell you I'm doing it. <laughs> I just stick it into a prayer or in a bit of a preacher and drop it along the way. We could be missing some of these amazing promises and blessings of God because we're not buying into his instructions connected to them and fearing the Lord as he asks us to. I played a trick on you earlier. God is good and God is great. Very great. Highly exalted. When the Lord appeared to Isaiah in Isaiah 6, that revelation, theophany, the Christo- theophany, Christophany, he saw Jesus. We know John's gospel, he says he saw Jesus. We know that's what he saw. He, saw. he says, I saw the, the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Now, you've got to imagine, God wasn't sitting in the temple in that picture, image that Isaiah had. He was above, he was high. But something of him flowed down into where Isaiah was on planet Earth. But the Lord himself was far, far bigger and far, far higher than what Isaiah was experiencing. And yet it was enough for Isaiah to be blown away by it. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. We tend to think about how God works and what God wants to do as being very lateral between around me and between us and for my family and so on. And we're saying, we're kind of praying, God, come into this bit here and fill this, your kingdom come. And there's nothing wrong with that way of thinking. But actually, God isn't waiting to fit into your space. He fills all space. He's not waiting to come and pick up to fill your moment. He fills all time. He is high and lifted up and highly exalted and full of glory and full of power and full of wisdom and you just need a bit of all he is right now. Yeah? You just need to experiencing just a little bit of all that he is. And it will revolutionize you as it revolutionized Isaiah. But let's not imagine that God is confined to our experience of him, our imagination of him. Even the Bible itself cannot tell us everything about our God. He's beyond imagination. Awesome. Sorry, that's all one rhetorical question. (laughs) 
I, let me say this to you. We need to regain these scriptures and many others. And if you want a whole list on, on uh, the fear of the Lord, I've got an eight-page, ten-point small letters of a couple of hundred I can give you. All right? If you want them, I can print them for you. We need to regain these scriptures. Reject a wrong understanding and use of that phrase, perfect love casts out fear, ripped out of its context in 1 John 4. And instead use things like the Psalms, which are full of praises, which include fearing the Lord, and come with good, solid promises attached to them when we will do that. We need to re-engage with the Psalms and other scriptures and use this language of scripture to express our reverence and devotion and submission and honoring of the Lord. We maybe need to discover again what it is to kneel or to prostrate ourselves. Not because, oh, I really feel like doing that. Just say, I'm choosing to do that because I'm, I'm going to make a choice that this is what I'm saying to the Lord and I'm demonstrating it physically. Even I will do that if the Spirit moves me. Why don't you just do it because you think it's a good idea? I'll tell you what, in my experience, the Holy Spirit turns up when I obey and when I do something, not when I just sit waiting around. You go and I'll be with you. It's that, you know, you, you say, Lord, we need a word of prophecy now. And, you know, you say, give us one, please. And I don't mind if, it, I don't mind if it's anyone else. It doesn't have to be me. Uh, you know, you, but you, you, there's a need. You ask for something and the Lord will supply it. Let's not be inactive, back foot Christians. Let's be those who press forwards, trusting God, looking, listening, wanting his presence. I've got one last scripture. It's a song we used to sing when I was a young man. And if I started to sing it, maybe only a few people in the room would know it, so I better not. It's just these words from Exodus 15, all the way back in Exodus. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? Awesome in glory, working wonders. The Old Testament saints' experience of God, the scripture tells us, Hebrews and so on tells us, Corinthians 2, Paul writes in those two scriptures. Their experience and knowledge of God was like this compared to ours. We don't know everything, but we have a more revelation. We have more knowledge than they did. If they could say that about God with this much, what should we be saying about God with all that we have received, with all the instruction that we have, with all the experience of his goodness that we have? Answered prayers. People being brought to faith. People being healed from diseases. We should be jumping in the air, dancing around the room, lying on the ground. Who cares? It doesn't matter which of those you do. Do you understand what I'm saying? But we should be able to be saying this sort of thing, using the language of Scripture, making it our own, and saying, this is our God. Fear him, you saints. There's no want, there's no lack for those who fear. There's no insecurity, there's no unforeseen danger.
for those who fear him. Your life is in his hands. A friend of mine, just this week I heard a friend of mine, he's, he's gone for tests and kind of, you know, not looking good. That's no one here, by the way, so don't go. <gasps> All right, someone else. His, his testimony was this. Well, it'll either get me now or in 15 years' time. And I'm ready to go to be with the Lord. So he said, I've got to convince a few people around me that it's really okay either way. If the Lord heals me, wonderful. If he doesn't, I'll go, be, I'll go to him. And I think, good for you. Yeah? We're realistic about it. Death could come to us. But it cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Man and maybe the devil, perhaps, can destroy the body, but I fear him who has the power of life and death and heaven and hell and destiny. I fear him. And in his love, I am secure. Do not fear, says Jesus. He numbers the hairs on your head. He loves you more than the sparrows of his feet. Secure in the love of God, yet the love of God does not erase this greater part of fearing him. We are instructed and promised and encouraged, Old Testament and New Testament, and chiefly by the words of Jesus himself, to fear the Lord. Come before him with reverence. Kiss the Son. Bow before him. Go and read the Psalms. How about you read Psalm 33 and 34? I almost did a little trick and put up a Psalm 33 and 34 with all the bits about fearing God blacked out. You can see there wasn't a lot left. Go and read Psalm 33 and 34. Make them yours. Buy into these precious promises of God and say, here's just another phrase from the Psalm. Just plucked out from reading them the last few days. Unite my heart to fear your name. Lord, do such a work in my inner man, in my inner being, that it comes together and joins up and says one thing, may your name be honoured. Unite my heart to fear your name. Let's pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name, Lord, is to be honoured, to be praised, to be held in high esteem. We take a thought from that and a lesson from that. We go away to do some work, maybe, in the way that we think and talk about you. Father, we, we pray with the scripture that you will unite my, our hearts to fear your name. Not with dread, not with terror. You freed us from those but with the healthy respect, reverence and honour that causes us to love the things you love and hate the things you hate. To receive with meekness your word that directs us and instructs us and shapes us. To be pursuing the things which are honourable to you and therefore will be good for us and for others. To shape every bit of life according to 
your grace, Lord. And we thank you for this, this image of blessing, which was new to me, and I pray that it will have touched some people today, that we, in an attitude of humility, we receive from you to, enough to put us back on our feet to walk this world in confidence in you. Lord Jesus, therefore, we pray, may the blessing of God be upon us as we submit ourselves to you in honour to your name and fear to your glory. Let me just say this. If you've, you're just a beginner. You're, you're here today and you haven't even begun. Honestly. Come on, let's be honest now. You haven't even begun to be a Christian. Why don't you make that decision and that response to God this morning? Say, Lord Jesus, I, okay, enough. I, I, I'm turning to you. I'm asking you that from today I can follow you and know you. See, the minute you humble your heart, God responds and honors. He always comes close to a humble heart. If you think you have all the answers and you can sort out the whole of life and you can do it all on your own, you're going to be waiting for God to surprise you somewhere along the way. I I would not suggest you do that. Do what the Scripture says. Turn to Him. Talk to Him. Ask Him to take control of you and of everything around you and reshape you and the way you live for his honor. What pleases God will be good for you. You might not think that now, but it will. You will discover that God's will is good. You'll be better in his hands than in your own. Make your prayer to him right now. Just a moment. Thank you, Lord, that you hear the prayer of every humble heart. Those who are proud and arrogant, you don't even need to listen to. Those who open their hearts to you in honesty, humility, will always be heard in heaven. Thank you, Father. Now, as we break bread together, we pray that these things, the bread and wine, that remind us again of the body of Jesus broken on the cross and the blood that was shed there, through which we are joined to God through Jesus, through this one sacrifice of one man for all sin, for all time, and for everyone that's been given by the Father to the Son. We thank you, Lord. We dare today to, re- to believe again and rejoice again that we are yours through the sacrifice of Christ for us. Amen. 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 Let's get up and move around. Some people will be at the front here, two sides, offering you the...